This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 134, and we are recording on May 24th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. We just did this two days ago. (laughs) I know. We're recording extra early because Amanda will be at BEA in New York all next week um, and therefore will not be available. So we just thought we would... Do this in a real quick turnaround. <laughs> it's it's so quick that we don't even have like feedback to give for the last show because the last show has just barely gone up. It went up five time. hours ago. Yeah, at the time of this recording. So here we are. We are here for you, though. Mm-hmm. We're here. What are you reading, Amanda? I just started Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Yay! I know, yay! Which is my first Octavia Butler. Yay! Um, <laughs> should I? Should we tell them why? Can I tell them? No, why? don't tell. It's okay, a okay. Secret. It's a secret. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, like I, you know, I just started it. I'm, I'm maybe ten pages into it. So I'm, I'm overwhelmed by how gritty and sad I it feels already within oh, yeah. ten pages. Um, but yeah, that's. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm sure it'll be great. You know, I was like, going to say, you'll continue butler. to be overwhelmed yeah. and sad by it. <laughs> great. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Sorry. Right. Like, I'll take it with me to BEA and I'll read it on the plane. And that's how I'll get through yeah. being trapped on a plane because I hate it. What about there you? you? Um, I just finished Hunger Makes the Wolf by Alex Wells, who is a Book Riot contributor and won an award, a Kitschies Award, which are like tentacle awards, which are my favorite. It's one of my favorite sci-fi fantasy awards, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, and it is so good. It is a Western in outer space with a motorcycle gang and magic. Like all of those things are happening and the, it's like a, it's also a sister story, but they're not actually related. So that makes it a found family story, which is one of my favorite things. Um, and there's like train robberies and like an evil corporation and miners on strike. And it's just got everything in it. And it does it, but it doesn't feel overstuffed. Like it's a super great story. And I fell so hard for the characters. Um, and while I don't know that it technically, qual- like there's a lot of plot and some of it's pretty gritty. And the ending, you're just like, oh, what? Like this could be a standalone or it could be, it, I think it is the start of a series. And I'm very eager to see what happens next. Um, but it gave me some of the same character feelings as Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. So if that's like a character experience you're looking to repeat you should definitely pick this one up so yeah that's hunger makes the wolf by alex wells good job Wahoo! all right we have so many very talented people in our contributor pool like it's just a continual astonishment to me and i don't know why i'm surprised anymore <laughs> um okay so how this show works it is as we said at the top a reading recommendation show and that means you can send us questions about what you should read next what you should gift to a friend or relative what your book club should read any and all of those things we will attempt to find you a book if you have a 
due date that you want the answer by. We will do our best. No promises, but we'll try. But you need to put it at the top of the form or at the very top of the email that you send us. And that gets me to how you send us the questions. You can send them to get booked at bookriot.com or you can drop them into the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every show. Uh, So yes, date, put time sensitive date right at the beginning of your question. Pretty please. If we don't think we'll get to it on air, I will send you an email response potentially. So keep an eye out for those. And I think that is all our housekeeping. So I am going to read our first question and then Amanda will tell us about our first sponsor and away we will go. First question is from John, who says, I love fantasy and sci-fi, maybe even some post-apocalyptic books. My favorite books have been Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Sword of Truth, and The Dresden Files. I'm looking for something fresh to read in this genre with a unique universe, new ideas, and nice characters. I know it might sound a bit challenging, but I would love to find something to read that is outside the mainstream fantasy guidelines. Oh, yes, we can help you with that. But before we do, hey, hey, um, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is us. It's a giveaway that we are running of $500 to the bookstore of your choice, um, as long as it has gift cards. <laughs> um, so yeah, go to bookriot.com slash bookstore 500, the number is 500, to enter. And that's pretty much it. There aren't a lot of details. It's running until June 29th, um, so you ha- or June 19th, rather. So you have plenty of time to enter. Uh, and that's it. We'll pull one random winner, and we will send you a gift card to whatever bookstore you want it to be. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local indie, Powell's, whatever. doesn't matter. We will send you the gift card. And then we request, though it is not required, that you send us a picture of the books that you get because we're nosy, nosy people. <laughs> yes, I really do want to see the haul. I'm like, well, how many could you get with $500? That's so many. I love it. Okay, anyway, moving on. So yeah, fantasy novels outside mainstream fantasy guidelines. So I picked a, a more contemporary work of fantasy. Um, it's called Roses and Rot by Cat Howard. And this is about two sisters, Imogen and Marin, who have a very abusive past. Their mother was um, very abusive. But of the variety, we're like, she hid it really well from everybody who was outside of the family. And to escape, Imogen left and went to a, a really exclusive boarding school um, and left Marin behind, who had to deal with her, their mother. And now we fast forwarded, I think, 10 years. They're in their 20s. Uh, Imogen is an artist and, or was she a poet? I don't remember which. She's some kind of artist. And Marin is um, a ballet dancer. And they have both been accepted to this really prestigious um, artist retreat where they go uh, to work on their, you know, crafts. Um, Imogen's a writer, that's right. Um, It's this really elite post-grad art program in New Hampshire. And so that's where they reconnect. They haven't seen each other in forever they reconnected this art program, uh, but then you really quickly start to realize that not everything is as it seems in this arts program. It's in the it's in the woods, and like Imogen is our narrator, and as you walk with her, things start to just feel like a tick off. Like the the paths wind in weird ways. She's constantly feeling like she's being watched, and I can't really tell you anything else about the plot because it's like this big reveal. Um, but like I will tell you that it is a modern urban fairy tale. And these fairies are not Disney fairies. This is a dark, twisty, fable kind of feeling um, fairy tale. And it is all about the choices that we make for our art and the things that we're willing to give up to get what we want and ambition and sisters and all of that. Um, But it is very much, I think, 
It is somehow both a traditional fantasy story because, you know, fairy stories are as old as the hills, literally. As old as, as long as people came out of the hills, we've been telling stories about fairies. Um, but the way that Kat tells it is so different and interesting and very modern um, and appeals, I think, to a really kind of contemporary sensibility. So that's Roses and Rot by Kat Howard. I was thinking about the Dresden Files and your request for a unique universe, and I landed on Cast in Shadow by Michelle Sagara, which is the first in the Chronicles of Elantra. It is a whole series. There's like a lot of, there's more than a dozen books in this series. So if you like it, there is a lot there for you. Um, and this is like in the way that Harry Dresden is, you know, sort of like hard boiled PI, but with magic and a heart of gold. This is that, um, except set in a different universe than our own. Um, it is set in the world of Elantra where there are these different sort of beings. So there's like human type people, but then there's, you know, giant hawk people and tiger people and dragon people and all of that, um, which is really entertaining and fascinating to watch. And Kaylin is a sort of police for the city of Elantra. She works alongside all of these other people and people who have wings and dragon things. Um, and she is has a lot of secrets. She grew up on the streets and she sort of fled her street life when there was a serial killer going around murdering children. Um, and so if this is a book where uh, this is a book where harm to children happens a lot, it's, it's part of the plot. So if that's a trigger for you, then skip it. But, um, but basically, you know that some really messed up things happened in her past and she's now like trying to be an upstanding, well, mostly upstanding citizen, not super upstanding. She's got a big attitude. Um, and then the serial killer who has like stopped for whatever reason, starts up again and so she like both has a personal stake in it and it is part of her job to try to track down this killer and figure out what is happening and of course it is much more than just one person there's all of this intrigue and politics and you know she is she gonna disobey orders or is she gonna do the right thing and what is the right thing and all of that stuff that um digs into these sort of you know urban fantasy questions especially the ones with a pi bend it has all of that but it's such an interesting world that she's built and uh, Kaylin is such a great character if you like that kind of gutsy sarcastic like gonna kick you in the face with her stompy boots heroine which I do love and yeah it's a really interesting mystery and you see that there's like this first book does a really great job of building both the context for the book and then opening up some questions for the future books so I think you would really dig it so that is Cast in Shadow by Michelle Sagara. All right. Question two is from Rhiannon, who says, I'm looking for book suggestions to help me further cope with and accept all the destruction and damage to the natural world that is rampant in human society. I love fiction, but also appreciate nonfiction. One of my favorite books is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, so anything like that would be appreciated. I'm also looking for comforting, nature-focused novels like those by Barbara Kingsolver and thought-provoking dystopia-style books where the natural world is a speculative character of its own, like in Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy. Any suggestions you have would be appreciated. Okay, um, I went with Orcs and Creek, which is the first book in the Mad Adam trilogy by Margaret Atwood. I obviously fixated on the dystopia part of your question. Uh, and this is a near future trilogy. Um, well, actually, the second one, it jumps back and forth in time. But the first one, Orcs and Creek, is obviously what we're concerning ourselves with. And this is in the near future. The main character is Jimmy. He's called Snowman. And he is 
possibly the last human on the planet. Mankind has been wiped out, uh, overwhelmed by a deadly plague, uh, and he is struggling to survive. And at the same time, he's mourning, you know, the loss of everyone he's ever loved and everything he's ever known. Um, and he's living in the wilderness with what he calls the children of Crake, who are these like genetically engineered people like creatures who are physically perfect, but they're also green, which is odd. Um, and they don't understand like abstract concepts. They don't get art. They don't, they, they have no uh, propensity for violence. Like they have been genetically engineered to be kind of perfect people. So he is, a, he's like hanging out with them and goes off through um, a journey into the wilderness to try to, you know, figure out if he's the last person. Um, and the reason why I picked this is because nature is very much a character in this book, both the natural world as it exists outside of mankind's ability to control, but also the natural world as mankind has warped it. And, you know, Margaret Atwood has this um, this like thing that she does in her dystopian work where she takes one issue and like extrapolates it out to the worst possible things she can imagine. So like, you know, the handmaid's tale does that with patriarchy. And I think orcs and crake is, and the mad Adam trilogy is really doing that with, um, climate change and, um, genetic engineering. So there's a lot of that in this book and the climate has changed a lot in orcs and crake. Like it's too hot for people to be out during the day for the most part. And they have to wear protective clothing and, um, like beyond sunscreen in order to not just not get sunburned, but like to survive being outside during the daytime. Um, animals have been genetically engineered. And then since the plague happened and, you know, society's totally broken down, they've, they've gotten free. So um, a lot of these engineered animals kind of roam the countryside and Jimmy has to deal with them as he encounters them, including pigs who have been com- combined with uh, like human brain cells. So they're a little bit sentient and it's really creepy and strange. Um, but it is a little bit Jeff Vandermeer-ish uh, in that way that nature is both its own thing and also a very omnipresent threatening essence kind of that takes up the whole book. Like it's very oppressive. So yeah. So that's Orcs and Crake by Margaret Atwood. Yeah. I also was like, Ooh, speculative nature. I have a thing for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it is the Queens of Renthea series by Sarah Beth Durst. The third one just came out. It's called Queen of Sorrow. And the sort of underlying premise of this book is that, like, if you went to chop down a tree, what if it could try to kill you back? Like, what if nature had its own sort of animation and if you threatened it, it would then threaten you back. Or sometimes even if you didn't threaten it. Um, And so this uh, series is a fantasy series. It's set in a world where there are these sort of elemental spirits. So like tree spirits and rock spirits and ground spirits and air spirits and, you know, fire spirits and all of these things. Um, And they are not safe. Uh, People grow up living, you know, sort of by very strict rules to try to not attract the attention of the spirits um, and the country is ruled by a queen uh, as you might have guessed from the titles um, whose job it is to sort of control the spirits she gets chosen in this ceremony and like imposes her will upon them and does her best to keep them from sort of murdering her citizens so humanity and nature exist in a very sort of tenuous balance in this where like humans live there and need to, like, you know, do things like gather twigs to make a fire and, like, live in a house that, in this case, is in a tree. Um, but it's not just, like, 
you know, I think there's a lot of fiction out there that like imagines it's sort of like peacefully coexisting with nature. This is not that. Like nature <laughs> is not peaceful in this series. Um, and so the books uh, start out with you sort of getting um, uh, a view of the candidate process. The very first book opens up with Delena, who is going to a school for girls who have the power to control to some extent the spirits. And they're all in training to see if they might be chosen as a future queen. Um, and I don't want to give too many details because it is a complete series and I kind of forget, not only do I forget what happened in which book at this point, but like, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but just to say that it is, um, it's, it's a very female focused f- series in terms of characters. There's a lot of magic. There's a lot of action. There's political intrigue. Um, I really felt for the characters in this series. Like I got really into like, what were they going to do next and how are they going to deal with this situation? Um, and I think it really grew as a series, like towards the end, you get to find out more and more about like how their world got this way. And, uh, it's just really satisfying. It's a really satisfying trilogy. So that, again, is the Queens of Renthea series by Sarah Beth Durst. Don't go camping while reading this book. I'm just saying. (laughs) Um, Okay, our next question is from Shona, who says, I'm headed to England, or excuse me, I'm headed to New England for two weeks in June. Would love some books to read while up there on vacation that are set in any of the New England states or about New England and its history. I do love books that give me all the feels and an emotional reaction, but I'm open to anything. I love literary fiction, historical fiction, women's lit and narrative nonfiction, um, and then goes on to list some favorites and there's a lot but you can see them in the show notes uh so amanda what did you pick for this one okay new england i picked seating arrangements by maggie shipstead which is one of it is a book in one of my favorite sub genres which is uh wealthy white people have problems in new england slash new york <laughs> i love it i love it so much it's like my favorite escapism reading for some reason um so the, the names in this book are amazing the, the patriarch and matriarch are, are named Wynne and Biddy. <laughs> I love it. Wynne and, Vid- and Biddy uh, Van Meter. And they have a vacation house on an island off the coast of New England where they are gathering with all of their family to celebrate the marriage of their daughter, Daphne. Um, their daughter, like their wedding is going to be at, like on the property. Um, Daphne is pregnant, uh, and so that's caused a little bit of a scandal. And everybody else who is gathering in the house to get ready for the wedding have have like their own scandals going on. Daphne's sister, uh, Livia, has just recently broken up with her boyfriend, who is like the son of her father's nemesis in business. So there's like that whole thing going on. And then Wynne, who is the dad, a, a pregnant woman old enough to be getting married, Wynne is... Um, has a crush on his daughter's best friend, who is the maid of honor, or one of the bridesmaids, um, Agatha. And so that whole thing is going on throughout the novel. And it's just all of these really intense, dramatic, interpersonal problems that they have, including, um, like, there is a lot of fretting about money and whether or not they can afford to keep this giant vacation house that they have. And, you know, from, like, the perspective of, quote unquote, normal people, it's, it just seems very like, oh my gosh, <laughs> can you imagine that being your biggest problem? Like, uh, I have I have this huge vacation house and whatever shall I do with myself? Um, but they, I know. And so it's just, everyone is the worst. Everyone in the book is the worst, but they're trying. And so like watching them, it's this, this very human, um, I, I don't want to necessarily say quiet because they get really drunk and yell a lot. So it's not really quiet, but there is a lot of human just problems you know like your dad is being creepy it's your friend 
you're in love with the guy who doesn't love you anymore, and now you have to hang out with him. Sister issues. Your mom kind of doesn't have much of an opinion about anything that she expresses. I think we, you know, we've all experienced some combination of those sorts of things. Um, and did you just add like? You make it claustrophobic by putting everybody on an island that they can't really get off because they have this wedding to attend. And then you just add millions of dollars and see what happens. <laughs> it's just so good. So that's Seating Arrangements by Maggie Shipstead. Nice. I picked On Beauty by Zadie Smith, which is in my TBR pile. It's one of the Zadie Smith books I haven't read, but I feel like it really suits this question, so I wanted to mention it. Um, it is also about a family, uh, They and it is very like family problems. Um, the father is a Rembrandt scholar who does not like Rembrandt and teaches at a very liberal New England arts college. Um, <laughs> and he has been married for many years to Kiki, who, when he met her, was like, you know, young, sexy activist and is now not necessarily that anymore because it's been 30 years. Um, and they have three kids um, who are off on their own little crusades for various things in their life. And um, like while he's watching them sort of like grow up and pursue, really intently pursue these different paths, He's just having his like midlife slash end of life crisis. Like he's like he feels like his life is over and he has no idea like what he's supposed to do with himself. Um, and then the oldest son falls for the daughter of a right wing icon, and the families like have to now suddenly interact with each other, and that doesn't go super great. So it is all about sort of um, these intersections of family and politics. And, uh, like, age and identity and race and all of the things that Zadie Smith, you would expect her to tackle, she does. Also very bitingly, like, clever and funny, like she often is. Um, and, yeah, it's it's kind of that classic, like, you know, intellectualist New England novel, but from the Zadie Smith perspective. So that is On Beauty by Zadie Smith. Okay. Question four is from... Where'd you go, Amanda? Sorry, I did it again. I did this two days ago when we were recording. I muted myself because my dog is over here and I didn't want her clicking fingernails. Anyway, I'm Lola. Sorry. I will figure out my life. <laughs> okay, question four is from Jessica who says, I just blazed through Circe uh, by Madeline Miller and I'm about halfway through Song of Achilles, also by Madeline Miller. I have discovered I have a love of Greek mythological retellings. What book or series can you recommend to help me dive into Greek myths? I prefer longer books, so please know short stories or graphic novels. Okay, I picked a YA novel for this one, and it is called All Our Pretty Songs. It's by Sarah McCary. And this is a retelling of the Orpheus myth, um, except with teenage girls in, like, Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so Aurora is one of, one of the main characters out of these two girls. She is the daughter of a famous musician who committed suicide. It, it seems like a Kurt Cobain kind of character. And so this is... Um, his daughter. She's growing up pretty much raising herself. Her mother is a drug addict and is very uninvolved. And at this point, she's a, you know, kind of a party girl. Um, very, I guess, you know, like troubled. I'm making scare quotes here. And the narrator is her best friend. You never learn the narrator's name, but they grew up together. Their mothers were best friends. Um, and then, but now they don't speak. They had a, you know, falling out. But the two girls stayed really, really close and have grown up together. Um, and they, they do everything together. The narrator is kind of like, you know, not the pretty one. And Aurora is this light around which all of their social circle, um, circles, <laughs> around which their social circle circles. Uh, yeah. 
like moths. She is their flame. And then they meet a gifted and beautiful and super hot musician named Jack, who is a little bit older than them. Uh, and the narrator, whose name you don't know, falls for him. Um, Jack and Aurora become really close. The narrator deals with a little bit of jealousy about that. And then they both meet a really creepy, tall character who, ugh, he's just the creepiest. He's like, in my head, he looks like Nosferatu from that old movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he offers Jack fame and he offers Aurora heroin, essentially, to make her feel uh, accepted and loved and warm inside, which are things that she's been missing her whole life since her father died, uh, and leads them away. They move to L.A. and they abandon, essentially, our narrator to her own devices and her you know, senior year of high school. And she follows them. And if you are familiar at all with the story of Orpheus, I feel like you can already get the sort of parallels. She she follows these people who she loves to L.A. to save them from this Nosferatu-like character. Um, but it's I love how angsty this book is and how it just completely embraces it. Like there, it's it, Sarah McCary writes very self-aware characters, and she knows entirely what she's doing here. That this is like teen girl angst and feelings and drama and like gothy darkness. Um, and I, I think in another writer's hands, it could come off like kind of pretentious, but it's not. It's just it's just lovely and and somehow charming, even though it's very sad. Um, yeah, so I love it so much. So that's All Our Pretty Songs by Sarah McCary. That book gave me some of the best, like, anger feelings. Mm-hmm. Like, in the best way, though. Like, oh, anger is, like, a real emotion, and I feel it sometimes. This is what it feels like. Like, that's... I love that book, too. Um, I picked for you Lavinia by Ursula Le Guin, our beloved Ursula Le Guin. This is, to my knowledge, the only sort of historical fiction that she ever wrote um i could be slightly wrong about that but it's it's certainly one of the few and um it is not a sci-fi or a fantasy novel which is what she's best known for instead it's this really beautiful sort of dreamy retelling of the aeneid from lavinia's perspective um so she is growing up in ancient italy where like rome doesn't exist yet right it's just like a muddy village near some hills um (laughs) and And she is, you know, she's the daughter of, you know, the local royalty, as it were. And her life is really good. She's got peace and freedom and, you know, can kind of do, um, you know, live her own life. And then uh, suitors start to show up because now she's old enough to be married off. And her mother wants her to marry this one guy. But there are these omens and prophecies surrounding her that she will... um, like marry a foreigner and be the cause of a war and her husband will die young and all of this stuff, um, which is a lot to put on a young woman. And then the Trojan ships arrive uh, and, you know, Aeneas comes into the story and uh, it kind of takes off from there. And so you're getting the perspective of, you know, a woman who basically is a side note in the Aeneid and uh, Ursula Gwyn is, you know, bringing her to life and also bringing this world of ancient Rome to life in just the way that only she could. It's such a such a strange and beautiful novel. I really love it. It's it's told in a little bit of a disjointed way, and so it takes a little bit to like get used to the structure of it. But it's so worth it. Um, it's so so worth it. So yeah. Uh, and if you wanted to do a read along with the Aeneid, you totally could. But I think it stands alone pretty well. I think you can manage just to understand the plot based on what 
the the story itself is telling you. You don't need the full, you know, historical. Like you don't have to have read the Aeneid five times to understand what's going on. So that is Lavinia by Ursula Le Guin. And it is time for our second sponsor, which is also us. It's Book Riot Insiders. Hey, hey. Um, and we, the 14 day free trial uh, that we instituted for the novel level during our anniversary month in April was so popular that we decided to make it a thing. So now you can level up your reading life with a 14 day free trial whenever you want um, at the novel level, which includes a lot of excellent perks. You can play with the new release index and wish list upcoming releases that you're dying to read. You'll get our exclusive podcasts and newsletters. There's a swag mailbag once a month. And if you are yearning for a spot at the epic level, which includes the Insiders Forum, those spots uh, open up once a month and um, novel level folks get the first crack at them. So it is a good deal all on its own. And it's also a good deal if you're trying to get into the epic level, which has limited spots. So if you go to bookriot.com insiders, you can see all of that and find out more. And yeah, thanks to us for sponsoring the show. <laughs> I'm very fond of insiders, as you might expect, since thanks that's part of our job. It's part of my job. So, all right, let's see. Our fifth question is from April, who says, My cousin is a trans man currently going through the physical transition. Recently, while discussing books, he lamented the lack of representation he's able to find in books and other media. When he is able to find it, the stories always end poorly for the character, things like suicide, violence and abuse, or drugs. He has read a few memoirs but would really love a novel. Do you know of any that have a trans man as the main character and a happy ending? Own voices would be amazing. What you got, Amanda? I picked a romance that I love, love, love. It's called Pur uh, Burnt Toast B&B. It's by Heidi Below and Rachel Hamowitz and is not own voices, I'm sad to say, but it's still great and worth reading. Um, so like I said, it's a romance novel. Uh, the main characters are Ginsburg and Derek. Ginsburg is a stuntman on a show that uh, he's, he's he got injured on the work. I think he, yeah, he broke his arm. And so he's out of work. And in order to like stay in town and heal until he can go back to work. He rents rooms at a B&B &B that has really cheap long-term rates, but has a terrible reviews and is run very poorly. But, you know, it's cheap. So he stays there. The owner is Derek, who is a logger um, who was, has been like laid off for the season and has inherited this bed and breakfast, bed and breakfast from his parents who are, have died. Um, Derek is very much like a manly kind of guy. He does not like cooking. He's not into like cleaning, <laughs> housekeeping, um, but he's the only person who works there. So it's all on him. Hence all of the terrible reviews uh, because the beds are dirty and the breakfast is gross and so if you don't have beds or breakfast, what do you have when you are a B&B? <laughs> you have nothing. <laughs> um, and so he's decided he's going to, like, shut the place down, whatever, move back to being a logger, focus on that part of his career, move on with his life. Uh, but then, of course, he's got Ginsburg who, like, won't leave um, because he's, you know, waiting for his arm to heal. And then Ginsburg starts having all of these great ideas about how to fix what's happening at the bed and breakfast, like having a party and changing the decor and changing the menu and teaching Derek to cook um, because, you know, he's out of work, so he's got to do something with his time. And so this is the project he takes on. Um, and Derek is very like, ah, what? There's a person in my kitchen. I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. Everything makes me uncomfortable. Um, and as this the, you know, he gets, like, a little bit hostile towards Ginsburg, uh, you know, because he's, like, gruff. He's this kind of character, like, rah, 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 rah. Um, 
that's the, the personification of Derek. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, sparks fly, both literally and figuratively in the kitchen. Oh, no. um, and, you know, this attraction starts to grow between them. Uh, and they kind of team up to maybe bring the better breakfast back to something that is respectable and that people will want to pay money to stay in. Um, Ginsburg is a trans man and Derek is gay. Uh, and their romance is, I just, I really love like, a gruff dude finding his soft side. I, I love that kind of trope in a romance novel, and it's so lovely in this. Um, Derek is great. I just want to, I just want to hug him. Bearded logger guy. He's the best. <laughs> so yeah. So that's the Burnt Toast B and B by Heidi Ballou and Rachel Hamowitz. I'm gonna have to read that. It's so entertaining. Derek is amazing. Derek in my head is Luke from Gilmore Girls. Oh, I was just that's where my brain went. Yes. To. That nice. is like the only person I could picture the whole time I was right. reading it. And right. so yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Grouchy Cooks, here for it. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, so I have a little bit of a rant um to go with my answer to this question. I, I also could not find an own voices uh, novel. Um I do have a book for you. It's Holding Still for As Long as Possible by Zoe Whittle, which I adore and is kind of like if you took Friends and you moved it to Canada in Toronto and everybody was queer, like that would be this book a little bit. Um, it does have a trans man character who is an EMT and he's post-transition. Like you just, you know that he has transitioned, but like that's literally it. Like you, there's no like the saga of coming out or having to deal with like parents or family or, you know, whatever. Like it's just like, this is just who he is. Um, and he's in a relationship with a woman, but they're kind of at a, r a rough patch. And there's another woman who he's maybe interested in, and she's maybe interested in him. And but you know, what? How's that going to go? Um, and uh, and um, there is a couple. There are a couple like tragic moments in this book, but it is ultimately a hopeful and optimistic book, and I really love it. Um, and I think that everybody should read it. But in particular, this is a good fit for the question. But so I, I like. Surely there must be an own voices that I'm just like missing and I checked in with my friend Jackson Bird um, and who is also a trans man and he was like you know not really like there are the the book that he suggested is Some Assembly Required by Aaron Andrews which is sort of like a YA memoir and comes close to that feeling of fiction um, but is a true story um, and it is uh, written by 17 year old Aaron Andrews who is sharing um, his process of going through uh, gender confirmation as a high school student um and so you know like first loves and dealing with bullying and all of that stuff um it's all in there so so I, you said that you know your your cousin has already read some memoirs this might be one to add to it but there's a real gap here in publishing. There's just like a gaping hole uh, for these stories. And so if you're an agent or a publisher listening, like, could you please work on this? Like, could we get some own voices novels for this? Like, what, what's going on here? Uh, and, and then Jack also gave me some links to some resources. He has a trans uh, recommendations bookshelf on Goodreads Ooh. and also a podcast um, called Transmission. Haha, <laughs> get it. Um, that is uh, exactly this solely to amplify the voices of trans individuals. So I'm going to leave those links in the show notes for y'all. Um, but yeah, what, like what? Come on. Come on, publishing. Catch up. Catch up. Get with it. <laughs> Get with it. Okay, question six, I'm both going to read and do both recommendations for, and you will see why here in a second. <laughs> so question six is from Sherry, who says, I've read... 
Uh, I read anything and have been known to to choose books by the covers. Something I haven't really found is a book that includes foster families. I don't shy away from anything. I've been a foster mom for just over a year now. I have two stepchildren and a foster baby. So the good and the bad are welcome. I would like one of each if possible. Okay. I have obviously read more, maybe not obviously, but understandably read more uh, books about foster care than Jen as a foster parent. Um, So I'm going to recommend both books for this. I have one... They're they're not they're both nonfiction, so they're not good or bad really. They're just they're non they're nonfiction, so there is no real I don't know angle that's happening here. The first is called "To the End of June: The Intimate Life of American Foster Care" by Chris Beam, um, and this came out in 2013. So it's a really contemporary look at the New York state foster care system. So I don't know where you're located. I'm in Virginia, so not everything that was in this book was like relevant to me because they do have different, every state's got its own way of doing things. But um, Chris Beam is a journalist who herself was a foster parent to a teenager. And her experience of foster care was, uh, I'm pretty sure she was a teacher and one of her students became homeless and she took her in. So it was like very, um, not under the table, but like, uh, surprise like it it wasn't like she I'm gonna be a foster parent and then she got assigned a child you know it was like this kid who who was in her life had an emergency so she took her in Um, and then retroactively went through all the steps that you have to take to become a foster parent after she was already living with her Um, and so she got not you know curious about the state of foster care and children in the system and how effective the system is Uh, and so she wrote this book she spent five years interviewing and following kids from the time of their placement until the time that they aged out. She looks both at babies who are removed from birth families, the process by which a child gets removed from a birth family. And she takes a really interesting historical perspective at like the federal laws that have dictated how the the standards by which states decide whether or not a kid needs to be removed from the family. And those have changed, you know, like with every presidential administration, there's been an emphasis on different aspects of, um, of abuse or neglect or whatever. So depending on like who's in the Oval Office, that can really determine who gets taken from a, a birth family and who doesn't. So she looks at that and then um, she follows them through their lives until they age out of the system. And once a kid turns 18 and they leave foster care, some states have resources in place to help them transition into living on their own. Some states don't. And in those states, those kids usually end up homeless. So it's a really in-depth look at the history of the foster care system, which this nugget that I learned from this book is that in the early 1900s, when Italian immigration was at its peak, uh, Americans apparently considered garlic to be an aphrodisiac. And so since Italian immigrants used so much garlic in their cooking, they had their children taken away from them by the foster care system, which was a new thing at the time, at these huge rates because they were considered, like, sexually inappropriate oh my in the God. kitchen. Right. I know. Isn't that nonsense? Like, I can't even. What? Wow. <laughs> America, xenophobic from way back. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so it's full of, like, that kind of thing. We're just like, what? That's such nonsense. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so that's book one. A really over, like, a you know, 50,000 foot look at the system. My second recommendation is Another Place at the Table by Kathy Harrison. And this is a memoir of a foster mother. She has over, I think like at this point, 15 years of experience in the Massachusetts foster care system. She's fostered over 100 kids, her and her husband. She's got three kids or five, three biological kids and two she adopted out of foster care. Um, And at any given time in her house were 10 children. And this memoir, I'm recommending this because when I read it, I thought this must have been published. This must have been written like the 80s. Like the laws here 
to my eye, are, are nonsense and outdated and all that. But it was actually first published in 2003. So I don't know what like when the anecdotes she's saying took place. But if you're in foster care now, a lot of this will sound a little odd. Like the amount of children that she's allowed to have in her home would never be allowed now. Uh, at least not in Virginia. I really doubt anywhere would allow this many foster children in one house. Um, like 10 <laughs> that she has at one time. And... Uh, but the reason why I'm recommending it is because she has so much to say about the why of fostering, especially when it comes to kids that nobody else will accept. And she is so dedicated to that, to taking the kids that no one will accept, that she makes sometimes very unwise choices to bring kids who are actually dangerous into her house with other children who do end up getting victimized by these, you know, like very young but not mentally well kids who come out of these really terrible situations. Um, but she's so honest. Like, she's super honest about her mistakes. And in this, you know, environment of foster care, we all make mistakes. You know, these kids are strangers when they come to us. So you can't know every um, detail of their life. And sometimes you mess up. And so she, but she's super honest about that. And that I found really comforting, even at the same time that I was like being real judgy about it. Like, why would you do that? Um, I have, you know, I, everyone, all of us have made mistakes. So uh, I think that it's it's relatable and also a bit of a cautionary tale. So that's Another Place at the Table by Kathy Harrison. I'm going to stop talking now. That was good, though. Real good. Super interesting. That to the end of the June book is, mm. I'm going to read that. Um, okay. Let's see. Our last question comes from Melissa, who says, I am graduating this week with a master's in social work. Congratulations. Uh, and loved almost every moment of it, but I'm ready for some serious escape from reality reading now. Um, let's see. Based on your podcast, I listened to the audio version of Shauna McGuire's Every Heart a Doorway and loved the unique complexity of worlds with differing levels of logic, nonsense, wickedness, and virtue, as well as the absolute normalization of the whole queer spectrum and plus also dead bodies and that indescribable feeling of missing a place so badly you can't go on with your life. I'm utterly embarrassingly new to the fantasy genre and would love more Rex for stories that are dark but in that it'll never happen to me or the people I'll be working with as a social worker kind of way. Um, so I picked for you the first book in the Tensorit series, which are novellas. They're short, but there's a bunch of them. There's at least, there's two and there's going to be three soon. Um, and they're so good. J.Y. Yang is one of my favorite new sci-fi fantasy authors coming up. And I cannot wait to see what else comes out from them. Um, this one is about two twins, Mokoya and Akiha, who are the children of the protector, which is sort of like, you know, the, the highest level of governance in their world. Um, and she, their mother sent them to this monastery as children um, to sort of get them out of her hair and also for political gain. And so they have grown up um, together in this monastery and Makoya has the gift of prophecy, um, but her twin Akiha is sort of the one who sees like what's going on, the, the observer, um, you know, sort of in the shadows, but keeping an eye on everything who really like understands what people are doing and why they're doing it while Mokoya is like having visions and sort of is lost in her own head. Um, 
And so, and he's also really struggling with the knowledge that his mother's rule is not fair or righteous in any way. Um, and there is a rebellion on, because note, her, his mother's rule is not fair or righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he starts to get involved with the rebel factions and is really torn between um, not so much his mother as part of his family, but what, like, his bond with his sister and what it allows him to do and not do and how to find his own identity in this very intense family life that is very public and very sort of stratified. Uh, And it's just so good on those sort of sibling feelings um, and like how do you differentiate yourself, especially from a twin. So, you know, somebody who's literally been with you every moment of your life and is a huge part of your identity. Like, how do you find your own way? And then obviously there's all this political intrigue and there's magic and there's prophecies and there's, you know, people blowing stuff up. Um, So not super like day-to-day life. Hopefully you never encounter anything like this as a social worker. Um, that would be weird. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it'll, you know, provide that escapist while still being very weighty, which it sounds like is what you're looking for. And it also is very, it has queer characters and characters of colors, very inclusive. I love it so much. So that is The Black Tides of Heaven by J.Y. Yang. Okay, I picked The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden, which is the weirdest, <laughs> just the weirdest sci-fi. This, it's a science fiction and fantasy. It's it's a mashup kind of genre, speculative fiction, whatever. Science um, fantasy is the thing I'm saying now. Science so. fantasy, yes. Mm-hmm. It is a science fantasy novel, yep. Um, and it takes place in South Africa, and there are several points of view in the book. Uh, the main one is a little girl named Namvula who is a demigoddess. So she discovers, whoops, uh, and by she discovers it when she accidentally destroys her village. Um, and she is, I think, 10. And the cover of this book has her on it. And she's just got the most creepy look on her face. Like, oh, I love it so much. Um, so there's her. Uh, there's also a sentient robot that is uh, like a assistant robot and this takes place in the near future in the 2060s at a time when most people have I don't they're almost just like butlers almost or personal assistant robots it's like like if you're R2-D2 robot yeah like if you're yes exactly if your iPhone were cute and walked about by itself that would be what this is one of them becomes sentient and it is owned by a teenager who is queer and takes a lot of hallucinogenic drugs which results in some crab dolphin sex it's super weird Um, and so you follow that character Uh, there's also um, a pop singer and a local politician who wants to become, you know, like he's running for a bigger office. I think he's a city council person at the time. And he's, he wants, he's got a lot of ambitions. Mostly his mother has given him a lot of ambitions. Um, and he's got a secret that you find out about. So you're following all of them and they don't seem connected in any way until Sydney, who is herself a demigoddess, arrives on the scene and decides that with the use of this t- new technology, she's, you know, existed for centuries. She's an old power for, an old power. Um, and she's decided she's going to take advantage of this AI that exists now to get back to her place of power that she used to occupy when people worshipped her. And she's going to do that by killing people and drinking their blood, basically. It's all very creepy. And then all of these other characters on the side come together in order to fight and defeat her. Um, So it is dark, like what you asked for. It's also just madcap weird. Like, it's just super weird. I mean, nothing doesn't make sense. Like, none of it is nonsense. It's not Jeff Vandermeer level of weird fiction, but it is... What? <laughs> like, what is happening? Who invented this world? Her name is Nikki Drayden. That's who invented right. it. <laughs> it's so it's, inventive. It is so odd and cool and just madcap zany weird. And I love it. So that's The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. 
And that's our show. Wahoo! Thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you get a chance to leave us a rating or review on podca- Apple Podcasts, uh, we would love that. It helps other folks to find the show, and uh, we love to see feedback. Um, thank you today's, to today's sponsors, which were us. <laughs> um, you can find us on social media. I'm on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. Uh, and I am on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.